honestly, I was just working my way up to death. I thought about killing myself every day. I was using all the time, and I, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. My brother shot himself because of drugs. When you are using technology to lure children for sexual purposes, there's a couple of problems that concern me. But I remember feeling kind of relieved after hurting myself. Do you have any idea how much you were worth? I like to say it this way, great people are really built in the furnace of affliction. Our teens are navigating a world of information anarchy and increased stress and pressure. Drugs are glorified more than ever before and there seems to be a suicide option that didn't exist prior. As adults, we are responsible to provide the help at-risk teens need. Have teens changed or is it just the world they live in that's different? Is this why so many teens are traumatized or triggered? My name is Aaron Huey and in 2009, I opened a home for these teens with the hopes of giving them a second chance at creating the life we all know they deserve. Now I want to give parents the information that contributed to our success and to support them in navigating the at-risk world. These are the stories told by the teens and the techniques used by experts to help them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. When I was in high school, if you had an issue, you went and talked to the school counselor. And more and more it became that if you had an issue, uh, you could talk to the school counselor and they were also the ones to be able to give you information about college, school after high school, other opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, that was in the late 80s, just to, to date myself a little bit. I graduated from high school in the 87. And in doing mental health work and uh, uh, being connected with a lot of high schools and a lot of high school counselors, their job more and more has become helping with college, helping kids figure out what they're going to do next, making sure the kids are in the right classes, making sure that they're getting their credit completed. And every single one of them talks about how, um, yes, they still do have kids who come in and say, uh, this is happening, I'm depressed, I'm very anxious, uh, my girlfriend and I just broke up, my boyfriend and I just broke up, I've cut recently. Um, and, I, and I was just talking to our guest a second ago, telling them that we had had a high school counselor come and apply for a therapist job at Fire Mountain at my facility. And... We, uh, we said, well, what's your experience clinic? And it's changing. It's changing that now there are people in the districts, in the high schools, that their, their job is focused on the mental health of the children. And mental health in high school, mental health in middle school, mental health in kindergarten is something that parents are very concerned with. And as you can imagine, more and more, uh, high schools are having to deal with mental health issues that let me give an example. I've taught martial arts for a long time. It's only been in the last few years that my martial arts classes with kids have begun to include what to do in case of a school shooting. I have had to talk to kids about how many school books to put in their backpack to be able to stop high-powered rounds from a rifle. That's intense. Another example is that uh, when a child commits suicide, it becomes a cultural phenomenon in the school. And lots of kids start to become suicidal. 
and have suicidal ideation. And there tends to be a trend that takes place. This is what schools are dealing with now. I remember in high school where one young boy drank too much after a party, fell down on his way home, knocked himself out, and perished overnight. One. I live in a district where suicide had been a pretty big problem. I've talked with parents in districts in other cities, Colorado Springs, for example, where suicide is rampant. What the counselors, what the clinicians in high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools are dealing with now is different. And it's much more prevalent. So I want to talk about mental health and school. And so I have our guest, Hannah Heckerson, from Estes Park. Uh, this, is a, this is a district in Larimer County. And she's our guest today. And I want to welcome the parents, the teachers and clinicians to this week's episode of School Mental Health. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me today on Beyond Risk and Back. I appreciate you being here. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Of course, and because we, because I live right down the road from where you work, I get to, I get to see you often. You've come to our open houses, so I'm, I'm glad we're connecting here. I think what you do is amazing, and I know how hard you work because we write, write emails back and forth talking about how we have no time. So thank you for taking the time out of today. And uh, this has been a busy day for you because spring break is just about to begin, and you're a little, uh, your students are a little wound up today. Yeah, I think this is the hardest part of the academic year. We've all been in the building just way too long together. So kids are tired, adults are tired, people need a break. So what types of things are you seeing today that, um, that their kids are going to be taking home? Is it just being stir crazy? Is it um, not wanting to be home? Is it, is it the disorganization of their home life versus the controlled environment of school? Or is it something else? You know, I think it's a little bit of all of the above and definitely on a case-by-case -case basis. There's some kids whose school is the safest place for them to be and going home for a week without the structure of school and kind of the safety of school, the food we have here, the warmth, um, it, it's tough. So meeting with those kids and making sure they have what they need and the resources and tools they have while school's not in session, but also just the kids, adolescents nowadays, they have so much on their plates. If home is good, there's a ton of stress and um, I see a lot of depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, perfectionism with trying to um, compete in today's world. So you see a lot of stress and impact on all ends of the spectrum, I think. You and I live in a, in a relatively small town. Estes Park is, is not your urban metropolis. Uh, it's a pretty small little town at the base of the Rocky Mountains. Um, is there a particular uh, small town symptom that comes up around this type of stuff? I'm assuming the kids in, in, the, in the schools that you work at here uh, have known each other a long time, have been around each other a long time. However, on the small uh, uh, little uh, uh, Facebook pages and stuff, I still see that we're dealing with some everyday high school stuff and middle school stuff, bullying issues uh, that are causing uh, um, pressure and stress 
are are we in a unique situation or or is the high school experience run of the mill as far as you feel are you are we a cross section of what all the parents are going to be listening to yeah you know i think there's definitely some unique aspects about estes just with our community where we sit um being a small mountain town in Colorado that doesn't have a ski resort attached to it. Um, being in Colorado where marijuana is legal, different pieces like that are unique to our community. But I think in general, the more trends that we're seeing with increased risk and um, mental health incidences are something, things going on across the country in every school today. So I think parents will be able to take a lot away from this. Good. I started my show talking about counselors back in my day, back in my day. And now we are, we're in a new day. And you and I were discussing this off the air a little bit about how it's changing. You're not a high school counselor. What is it, what is it that you do for the district and for all the schools we have here? Yeah, um, so I am not the school counselor anymore. I used to be. So when I started here in Estes, I was the high school counselor. Um, but we were lucky enough to have a mill levy passed, which increased funding for the schools with um, mental health services, post-secondary services, and then staff retention. And those are three of kind of the biggest issues we're facing here in Estes. So they created my position of the mental health clinician. So I'm able to do mental health counseling, um, social emotional program development, crisis planning across the district. So I'm K-12 now, so I work in our three buildings. We have about 1,200 students, so I'm the one service provider to about 1,200 students. But I do like what you brought up in the intro about the school counselor role and how it's changed and how there's more and more people coming on board into the team and what exactly everyone does because it's it's a lot different from even when I was in school which wasn't as long ago but you know I never saw my school counselor as a high schooler I was from a small mountain town too and I the counselor used to work for my dad and I just didn't think they could help me so I was a student who never even went to them um and then I chose to go into that profession to be someone who I really needed when I was that age. So it, it's an important topic. It's been a big part of my job recently to try to connect with as many high school counselors as possible, uh, attend the conferences. Uh, I want to take this podcast to their conferences to really interview them about really hot topics uh, that, that kids are facing in the district. And so to, to follow up, I went to my old high school, which was just down in Longmont, Skyline High School. And I remember when I was in high school, there were three counselors, two were full-time and one was part-time. And I go on the page and there's like eight counselors and a mental health clinician. And, and so the, the teams were expanding. I'm assuming that had something to do with the number of students, but not just that, the team has different roles and there are different levels of training for each. So talk about your team, talk about the different types of people you have and the training they have and the training you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, on our team right now, we call it kind of the social emotional learning team. We have a school counselor for every building, um, myself as the mental health clinician. Um, we have a district psychologist, so she is K-12 as well. We have our restorative practices coordinator who works across the district and then our um, 
student services director. So to kind of touch on those three points, we'll start with the school counselors because they're kind of the person in the front lines for each building. Right now, Colorado is still 48th in the nation as far as education funding. Are you joking? We have such a, a I mean, we're, we're a blue state. We're a liberal state. That's supposed to mean that we, we value education and higher education, and we're still 48th? We're still 48th in another, another initiative that was on the ballot this past fall failed again. So Coloradans don't want to fund education for whatever reason. And you can see that in our um, school counselor numbers. So we have a big population increase and you'll see big high schools with like eight or nine counselors on their team, but that's still one counselor to maybe 400 students. And the American School Counselor Association recommends one school counselor to 250 students. Um, so a lot of buildings in Colorado are sitting at, at way higher numbers than one person can take care of. And I will tell you, any therapist with a private practice who had 250 clients would be so overwhelmed beside themselves, have no ability to see all their clients, give them equal attention, proper attention, um, or truly help any of them. I, while the idea of having 250 clients financially would be a dream, you guys are still working in the school district. And so we all, we know you're driving those big fancy, uh, you know, 1990 Toyota Corollas or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, 250 is still a ridiculous number for any one person whose job it is to oversee the mental health and future of a child. Mm -hmm. But here in Colorado, we're still up at one per 400. Is that, that's what you said? It's about the average. That's ridiculous. All right, so, so knowing that, what are some of the more prevalent things that you're seeing and that your counselors are seeing, the things that your team meetings are focused on when you're like, okay, here we go with another round of, is it depression and anxiety still? Is it suicidality? Or, you know, what's, what's, what's going on? What's the number one topic in your team meetings? Right. Um, it really varies just because of the workload that comes onto our plates. Um, I'll go, some of what the school counselors are dealing with. So again, these school counselors in our buildings, they are all master's level professionals. They're licensed by the state. And with school counselor training, you are a mental health professional as well. When I went through the training, I, you know, you have mental health counseling, you are a career development specialist, and you're an education specialist as well. And people, depending on their passion, like mine has always been mental health. So that's why I pursued like the specific mental health licensures. And that's how I got to where I am today. But school counselors wear all of those hats, let alone they come into the building, they're in charge of scheduling for the building. So they build every student's schedule, they do schedule changes, they do um, build course guides. I can say some of the work I did as a counselor. So scheduling for 400 students, um, building course guides, coming in, running testing, so state testing, PSAT, SAT, doing practice tests for that, um, being the 504 coordinator, which is kind of the step down from an IEP, so running all of the 504 meetings, also trying to do college and career development for every kid. So the state of Colorado has a great program called an ICAP, which is Individual Career and Academic Plan. And legally we're required to have one for every student, but that is also 
on the counselor's load to do college and career planning for every student, let alone the social emotional planning. So you have and local scholarships, just a plethora of things that walk in your door every day where you're wearing a million different hats and then um, you have to get like letters of require letters of um, recommendation done and get this kid's college application done, but then a kid walks in who's suicidal. So you do an assessment and call parents. It's it is so much on their plates, and then that's a lot that they bring to team meetings, and we kind of try to pair out from there. What is the most common reason a kid comes in your office? Um, a lot. Most students, I would say, the big two are depression, anxiety. Do and then you, there's a third popping up with a lot of obsessive compulsive disorder self-diagnosis recently, which has been interesting. What do you mean by self-diagnosis of uh, OCD? Yeah, a lot of students, and I'll say this, um, kind of in the age of technology and the age of the internet, um, people look up a lot of their symptoms and disorders, and it's like if you WebMD a sore throat, it goes, do you have cancer? <laughs> so a lot of kids are WebMDing, well, I feel, I, I'm anxious about this test. It's like, oh, you have anxiety disorder. I'm feeling sad today. You have major depressive disorder. So walking in with uh, self-diagnoses and parents even self-diagnosing off the internet. Look, OCD, a true OCD and, and working in mental health uh, for as long as I have, true OCD is debilitating. Mm -hmm. And like, like, it's not, uh, when I say this obsessive compulsive and people like, you know, well, I'm, you know, I'm really, and, and it was the same with oppositional defiant disorder. Like, like that's another one we get a lot from parents. And so my kid is ODD. We're like, I, well, let's, let's have some professionals look at that or somewhere along the line of the journey, some professional has said you're OCD, you're ODD and they carry it. I'm not going to say like a badge of honor because I don't want to, I don't want to put down people being very concerned about how they feel, but let's talk about this OCD thing. Because like mm -hmm. I said, with true uh, obsessive compulsive, it's debilitating. And, and we're talking about true depression and true anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's debilitating. We're talking about dysfunction. We're not talking about, I'm stressed about my tests. I'm depressed that my girlfriend broke up with me. That's everyday stressors. Those are things we all deal with and we all have to get past. But that's also not what we're seeing when a kid comes in with major depression or clinical depression or truly OCD. So talk about OCD for a second, since you're calling that number three. Um, what is it that, that kids are saying they have? What do you see as real OCD? And what, how do you help a kid who really, really does look like they're showing some criteria for obsessive compulsive? Yeah, those are all great questions. And a lot of what I do with kids is psychoeducation. So when they come in with this self-diagnosis, a lot of them are experiencing anxious feelings. And since OCD is technically an anxiety disorder, they kind of follow that path down there. Um, a lot of it is with some particular things like, well, I like to have my room a certain way. So I think I have OCD because of what the internet says, or I, I need to have this um, lighter from my grandpa who just passed away in my pocket. I'm like, well, that makes sense. You're missing him. So teasing apart, the symptoms and also showing them what's on a spectrum. And I think a lot of things nowadays are, we're in a society where there's excellent education and awareness about mental health topics, and yet developmentally with adolescents and where their brains are at, 
it's very polarized. So teaching kids about like the spectrum of human emotion, like it's okay to feel happy some days and to feel sad and to be anxious. Like if you're not a little anxious for your test, there might be something up. And in fact, some anxiety helps you get in that proximal zone of discomfort where you perform better and showing kids like that normal range of human emotion and discomfort and being able to tolerate a little discomfort in life, I think will take them very far. And then showing them how far the range is for diagnosable disorders and where you need to get to. Um, so I think psychoeducation is always the first piece. And that's where I fall with most of the students that I work with is that psychoeducation piece and supporting them with that. Because the majority do not have the diagnosable clinical OCD. And really with my position, I'm not diagnosing anyway. So if I am seeing a student who's showing concerning behaviors that I would like to help them get treatment for, I do outside referrals. I work really closely with the counselors in our community and our county. So I know who has openings and different pieces. So I try to get them to help outside and coordinate from there. And then once a student has an outside counselor, I work with that counselor and bring in some of those um, treatment goals to the school so everything is streamlined into both settings let's talk about this discomfort piece because it's it's something that a lot of parents have questions about i will tell you right now my my big market is gen xers right gen xer parents have kids about our age millennial parents they still have younger kids some who got started very early their kids are in the tweens and maybe early teens mm -hmm. but i'm still primarily dealing with Gen X or parents. Maybe a little bit of Gen Y if it hasn't been completely amalgamated into one of the other. But um, this discomfort piece, I want to know in your brutal honesty, is it kid development that is changing or is this parent environmental experience that changed? What I will say is that my generation, the Gen X generation, is pretty responsible for the, the entitlement issues that we're seeing. Now, I'm not talking about the, the inability to handle discomfort because I think that's a deeper conversation, but when we are complaining about the entitlement issues surrounding millennials, I want to remind Gen X parents that we were the ones who were giving them trophies for showing up to the soccer event, whether they won or lost. And when you do that, it does two things. It diminishes the actual trophy of winning. And number two, it sets up, where's my reward? I showed up. Where's my cookie? I did. And that translates, and I'll just say this for the record, that when men do the dishes or mow the lawn or do their own laundry, they really expect a, a parade for it. Hey, I help out with the chores at home. And that's really a, a BS statement, in my opinion. You're not helping with the chores, you're actually doing chores. And that's actually part of your job if you have a home and you don't get a cookie for it. But the ability to handle not getting a cookie and the discomfort of chores seems to be a prevalent issue in the youth. Are we going to hold the parents responsible and try to educate them? Or are we going to give psychoeducation to the kids and say, actually being uncomfortable is part of growth. And as you said, just a bit ago, even actually a condition of being successful. So is this the parents or this the kids that we need to talk to here? I think we need to talk to both. 
And that's a really important piece that you bring up um, with working with parents. And a lot of my work is trying to educate parents and give them resources too. I think it is a very tough time to be a kid and it's a tough time to be a parent. Um, with parents, a lot of the students I work with, like I'll call home on maybe like a suicidal student and talk to parents and I would say, seven times out of 10, that was a night that the parents cracked down and like took their cell phone away or told the kid to clean their room. And then the kid comes into school the next day suicidal, um, which is terrifying because uh, there are students who make plans and complete suicide nowadays. So as a parent, having that over your head and walking on eggshells, creating those boundaries can be scary, but it is so important. And I, and I want to say something for the record as well here, that if a child is um, leveraging their physical safety, their life, or the physical safety in the life of another person, because they're uncomfortable, because they've had a boundary put on, put on them, um, parents uh, get worried and get upset, but that's still indicative of a pretty deep issue that, that our, our, body health, our mental health, our livelihood is conditional upon our comfort. And if I don't get my way, I'm going to threaten my life. Um, we want to be angry at that as parents. And we want to say you need to be able to handle more. But the fact that that's logical to them is still indicative of a, of a problem and that needs looked at by a professional. Exactly. Well, and I think it speaks to what students are going through as well. And I, I feel like technology and social media play a big piece of that because suicide's on the menu of options. That's the bottom line. Like kids see suicide on the menu of options nowadays. You can be suicidal, you can self-harm, you can do all of these different pieces. And it's on social media every day. You see peers doing it, you see it in headlines. Um, so it's something they can choose. It's not out of the realm of possibility anymore. Okay, so now let's go back to the concept of, of discomfort. Are we dealing with developmental delays and gaps in uh, the neurological system, or are we dealing with uh, an environmental system that perhaps the parents have set up or the schools have set up? Are we dealing with systemic failure environmentally or neurologically? with the inability to handle discomfort? I think I lean towards more environmental systemic than something biological. Like, of course, we know that mental health disorders have a genetic component, traits run in families, that's very important, but the biology of human beings have not changed that much in the last 20 years compared to the issues that we're seeing. So a lot of this is environmental. Um, the increase in technology usage, the change in parenting skills and attitudes, the pressures put on kids to make money or stay out of debt, get to college, live these very fulfilling lives on every level possible, I think is something that are, has changed in our society and is having a negative impact on kids. You and I talked about off the air that one of the strategies that you really look towards um, when you're working with kids, and I'm assuming when you're working with parents, is emotional vocabulary. I think another way to say that is emotional intelligence. But let's, I'd like you to break it down since you probably teach that a heck of a lot more than I do, probably on a daily basis. So what do you mean by emotional vocabulary? Is that the same thing as emotional intelligence? How do you teach it? How do you instruct your, your students to embrace that? 
Right. So in my office specifically, you know, I get some very extreme cases and I really start at that psychoeducational piece, but creating vocabulary for students so they have something that's different between like I feel sad today or I'm suicidal today because they're in reality there should be miles between those two feelings and oftentimes it feels like there's a couple of inches so showing students like there's a variety of levels between here and there and what are the words and what do those feelings feel like and how to identify them in their body when they're feeling that way. Same thing with anxiety or even happy attitudes. Um, just kind of increasing that scale and giving students awareness so they can use those words instead of like, oh my God, I'm so depressed today or I'm suicidal today. And there's a level too where just developmentally, adolescents, they're prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. So there's just some extreme emotions going on anyway. Um, so there will be extreme uses of vocabulary, but teaching them to use some of those critical thinking skills and the reasoning behind it to, so they can really ask for help when they need it, instead of almost being like the boy who cried wolf scenario. And I see more and more emphasis being put on social emotional learning across schools in the country um, and in every single classroom. So teachers are being asked more and more to apply social emotional curriculum into their everyday teaching and in math class talking about how you could solve a problem with the student or different things like that. So I think social emotional learning is really the next frontier that schools will be tackling as well. How does a math teacher um, bring in, uh, I know one of your math teachers very well, and, I, and I'm thinking about like, I'm, I'm picturing him like, how does he bring it, and how does he bring in emotional intelligence to his math classes? And I know the training he's been through. So um, how, how, do you, how do you teach a math teacher, a science teacher to have emotional intelligent conversations with a kid and get the, the, the emotional vocabulary online with what a child is really feeling? What I hear you saying, Hannah, is that, you know, when a child is like, oh my God, I'm so depressed today. That could mean a lot of things, um, but the word depression triggers something in us as mental health workers. If a kid says, oh my God, I just want to kill myself, they might just be venting and they may not have a foreseeable future based on their current experience. Mm -hmm. And those things are miles apart. Mm -hmm. um, so how, does, how do you train a math teacher to say, all right, are you do I need to call an ambulance or are you just frustrated that you and your best friend had a falling out last night? Right. And it's such a good question. And I think that's one that schools across the country are grappling with right now, because like in the beginning, I was talking about our overloaded, overworked and underpaid counselors. Now let's talk about teachers who are in the same boat and we're now asking them to be counselors kind of in their own right. Of course, teachers are an important part of student lives and have a very special relationship, but we are adding one more thing to the teacher's plate where you are. You're asking the math teacher to have that social emotional intelligence and be able to make 
good referrals like oh well this student does need to see the counselor They're, they should see the mental health specialist or maybe i should send them to the psychologist or social worker um so staff education is a big piece i know for our district in particular the restorative practice framework has been an excellent tool for us to use in creating circles and focusing on relationship um, we're also creating a social emotional standard. So just like learning standards, it's going to be pre-K through 12, like based on the castle framework. So there's other districts who have done um, social emotional learning standards that we're basing ours off of like in fourth grade, a student should be able to do these skills when it comes to self-awareness. And then we're going to give examples of those skills and then examples of like exemplar curriculums or things that you can do. Um, so we're trying to make it easier for teachers, but this is, we're playing the long game here and really putting in work that um, needs to happen and is happening across the country, but it's just, I think, moving slower than everyone would like. Okay, so we have teachers and clinicians who have real life experience about what's going on with these students and because of what the students are saying and the students interpretation of what's going on at home. You're, 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 you get reports and stuff like that. You call home to the parents, you get the parents version. And we like to, we like to kind of tongue in cheek and say, um, you know, it's the parents' fault, and we know it's not. We know that that no mental health issue as is as simple as one or another person's fault, and we know that neurological problems can create environmental problems. Environmental problems can create neurological problems, and quite frankly, it becomes a chicken and an egg, and we get focused on treatment. But the main thing you and I both know is how um, underprepared parents feel to deal with these types of things. When they get that phone call from the counselor, that one time or that 10th time, I know that parents, their own heart rate starts to skyrocket when they hear the phone ring in the middle of the school day. Um, you and I know that parents are completely isolated. So now as we start to, to wind down here, um, I want you to give parents some tips some tricks what's step one what's step five how do how are we going to help parents navigate this stuff what do, what does a parent need to know to get through having a kid in school right well and such a great point because being a parent today is such a difficult endeavor um, I would start with really taking advantage of the resources in your community and the resources your school provides. Um, schools are doing so much nowadays and it feels like it can never be enough, but I think the school counselor's office is a great place to start. Keep an eye out for like what your school's offering for programming, what your library's offering, um, because mental health topics will be a piece of that. And even start the conversation early with your student school counselor and make it okay for your student to have another adult to go to at school. Um, there's some great support groups online. Talk to other parents in your community, see what they're doing. And I would um, look at screenagers.com. That's one of my favorite technology resources. Um, they have an excellent Tech Talk Tuesday newsletter. 
because I know a lot of the conflicts that I work with with families are around technology, cell phones, iPads, different pieces like that. And that is a documentary, but they also have resources and it's all based on a parent's perspective and them navigating technology at school, technology at home, how to form boundaries, how to have discussion in within your family. Um, so important. And remember that you're the expert on your kid. You're their biggest ally and you have the right to advocate. Um, you have the right to be concerned and you have the power there. There is a line like the schools have resources and there's a line where they can do so much and then you need to take the lead there, but you have some excellent partners within your community. Hannah, have you heard, you know, I, I know that you've heard about uh, helicopter parents, the ones that are constantly hovering over their kids. And then we've all heard about drill sergeants. Those were those two terms were made very popular by Love and Logic. What I heard recently from a district psychologist who's a very big, uh, uh, you know, speaker in the industry of conferences and stuff like that, talked about the Gen X parents, my generation, and he called them fighter pilots. Is that a term that you've heard or fighter jet parents? Have you heard that? The term I've heard um, most often with Gen X or millennial parents is lawnmower parents. I've heard of the lawnmower, the ones who get out front and clear the way for their kid to have a completely breezy experience. Yes. Yeah. So I've heard this new one and I wonder if you have experience with this, can confirm or deny that this exists. Fighter jet or fighter pilot parents uh, have no contact with the school whatsoever. They just circle and circle and circle until something happens. And then they go, and they come in guns blazing, full protection mode. What's going on here? And you're like, who are you? And now they are so deeply involved. They're just strafing the school, the counselors, they're calling nine times a day. And you were like, where, where have you been for the past two years? Is this a, a parent you have experience with? Oh, Aaron, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I am because yes. I, we, you and I know that, that parents listening are going, okay, I'm lawnmower, I'm drill sergeant, I'm, I'm the hovercraft or the helicopter. But there's another type of parent out there, isn't there? Yes, um, absolutely. I've had experiences like that. And you mentioned, you know, the anxiety a parent feels getting that phone call in the middle of the school day. The anxiety I feel calling home is maybe comparable because I would say most of the time I'm the one who ends up getting yelled at with some stuff um, from parents. So I think an important thing to remember as a parent too is we're partners in this and 99% of education professionals are there for your kids. We love them. We want them to succeed. I don't get out of bed in the morning to make your kids life hell. You mean um, you're not in it for the money? I'm not in it for the money. Um, and the thing is, too, like I would much prefer a lawnmower parent or the fire pilot uh, parent because like if you're yelling at me, I just, you're caring very loudly. And I appreciate that because your kid has an awesome advocate and that's so important. And I would rather have that type of parent than the one who's just stays circles and circles and you never hear from their entire school career. So 
there are super strengths with lawnmower and fighter pilot parents, but also have the perspective that maybe the people you're fighting against are actually on the same team with you. That's uh, that was a very diplomatic uh, way of answering that question. I'm I'm pretty impressed. You should be a counselor, Hannah. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. I've had some practice. <laughs> you have. Um, I you know there are there are parent evenings that's coming up. I'm coming up to talk at a parent evening. You guys having up coming up. I don't want to talk about the date because the show's going to live forever. It's going to be downloaded forever. So I don't want parents to get confused and try to think that there's something happening this Thursday night or yeah. next Thursday night or, or something like that. Um, but, but as, as a health practitioner, a mental health practitioner in a district, you're responsible for creating resources for parents. How do parents find those resources? Do they call you directly? Do they go online? How would a parent in New York say, figure out what the school's doing for that evening? Yeah, I would definitely start online would be step one and see what your school district website is like. Um, I know for myself personally, like my link is on the district site and I have a plethora of mental health resources. I have a community resource list. That's where everything lives. But if you're not finding what you need, my contacts information is there. So contact if you're not seeing who, what you want or who you need, email, call in person, they should get back to you. And the events, like part of what we're doing is such a cool event where we're bringing in all these wellness professionals and everyone's invited kids, parents, um, retired community members, we're serving food, we're having you as the keynote, we're doing a round table like mini conferences on a variety of wellness topics. And we are not unique. There's a ton of schools doing that out there. So keep an eye open for your local listings. And if you don't know how to access your school's page or like you're not on their email list for whatever reason, go into the office and get help and someone will be able to set you up. Perfect. Hannah, thank you so much for being on the on the show on Beyond Risk and Back. I appreciate it. I'm going to have you back. That was amazing. You, you've done incredible. So uh, I'm going to have you back. Thanks for taking the time to do this. It was, it was great. Oh, thank you for having me. I'd love to come back anytime. It's my passion. So I, I can talk about this all day. Perfect. All right. Parents, um, these, these counselors, these clinicians, these mental health workers at your kid's school, they are on your team. Connect with them. Don't wait until something bad happens. Introduce yourself. And parents, remember, if you are moving into a strategy of getting out in front of the kids' issues and things like that, contact the counselors, contact the mental health workers at the school to let them know that maybe you're changing some parenting techniques, that your kid's going through some stuff. Give them a heads up because they really are on your team. This I know is truly effective with your kids' school experience. So with that being said, parents, number one, thank you for making Beyond Risking Back the number one parenting podcast in Colorado and on Mental Health News Radio Network. Thank you. I appreciate that. Keep listen, like, subscribe, and sharing us, please, for any parent, teacher, or clinician who might need this as a resource. If you think your kid may need residential treatment, you can contact my company, Fire Mountain Programs. It's firemountainprograms.com. You can also call us at 303-443-3343. My personal email address is aaron at firemountainprograms.com. I want to thank 
my boss goddess at Mental Health News Radio Network, Kristen Walker, for her love and support of our show and all the shows on Mental Health News Radio Network. You can see more on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com. And Daniel Cropper, who takes my shows, cut them apart, puts them back together so expertly. Thank you for all your hard work, Daniel. Parents, take care of yourself first. Take care of your adult relationship second. Take care of your kids third, because in that way, we do our best work with our kids. Thanks so much for being a part of my podcast, and we'll talk next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility, and also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com. <laughs>